This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R. We work out our bodies. Let's work out our minds. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. You're like, what is BetterHelp? Why would I go there? Because it's it's online therapy, baby. That's right. You don't have to sit in traffic. Uh, It's cheaper. It's international. So wherever you are in the world, your therapist can go with you. And you don't even have to sit in an office. The best thing is you can do this from your phone. Uh, You can text. You can call. Within 48 hours, they're going to match you up with your own therapist. Some people have their own chef, their own personal trainer. You get your own therapist. How cool is that? And here's the best part. If you don't like the therapist, you can just find yourself another one. You know, They will match you up with another therapist. Because I have friends who are looking for therapist right now and they're saying how hard it is to find one everybody everybody got a therapist now it seems like nowadays so get one and and if you're one of those people who are like well my life is good everything's good i don't need a therapist that's why now is the time to get one because when life hits the fan and and inevitably it does right uh that's not the time to look for a therapist because it takes time to build rapport to connect for them to know your backstory, for you to feel comfortable. So get a therapist now, somebody that you can talk to, build a relationship with, and then you can take a break. But then you have, you know, you got that therapist in your pocket when things do hit the fan, when life does punch you in the face. And then you got that, now it's not even a therapist you're calling, it's a friend, but it's a friend who's gonna, who's gonna like make you feel safe and secure and hold all your secrets and, and show you how to grow and get unstuck. It's, it's the best friend in the world, right there in your pocket, on your cell phone. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Clive Rose. She's an award-winning romance writer, who can talk about why people should put away those dating apps. And and she's also here to discuss how real love takes courage, and that might mean making authentic connections. Clive Rose has been writing historical romance fiction for the best part of two decades. Her novel, Always a Princess, is a BookFest Award winner. One of her novels was also longlisted for a 2010 Hatchet Award, for fiction, while her paranormal short story, The One Below, is a Sexy Scribbles award-winning piece. Welcome to the podcast, Clive Rose. How are you? Thank you. I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. So the question uh, I like to ask people is, what got you out of bed this morning? What got me out of bed this morning? Well, my daughter. And um, honestly, I, I mistook the time and I thought it was 5 a.m. that we were on. So I got up at 5. Um, <laughs> which is early for a Saturday, but actually, um, as the summer, we move, we're moving into summer now, spring and summer. So I tend to get up around first light to do a run. Um, and I do that every second day. And then every other day I do a half hour of, um, strength training. So, but today it was mostly my daughter had a friend sleepover. Um, so they were, they weren't so much up as they didn't really go down. <laughs> oh yeah, because they're kids and well, five a.m. is early on any morning, <laughs> but especially Saturday morning when you think you can sleep in. So, uh, yeah. I, I apologize for that. How did That's how does okay. it? You talked about waking up, working out, going for a run. What does that do for you? Um. Well, I started during when when we were locked down. Um. I guess you guys know that Australia was locked down pretty tight. We were given um, an hour a day to go and exercise. Now, I'd been doing running kind of inconsistently for a while, but during lockdown, I'm, I started making kind of a, a a real effort to do it because it was your one hour out, basically. And um, and then I, I joined a virtual, I, I, I booked a virtual run, a sponsored run, which I do every year now. And um, so and then I got into it and I found that it really helped my head, helped keep my head straight. I, I was more relaxed. I was calmer. I was handling situations better. Um, so yeah, I, 
I kept it up. And when I when I've missed too many days, like if I skip a day or two or talk myself out of it, or it's been raining for three days straight, we've been having some wild weather lately. I do find myself getting out of sorts and my mental health does start to suffer because I haven't been doing it. But it definitely improves when I when I've been running. I'm not very um athletic per se. Like I, I don't have a whole you need to stretch and you take all the supplements. I literally bung in my earphones and try to get halfway from home before I realize what I'm doing. And that way, if I really hate how the run's going, I have to turn around and go back. And by the time, by that time I've done a run, basically, I've kind of tricked myself into it. I love that. How to trick yourself into a run. <laughs> you said that you just started running and it helps you to feel relaxed and calmer. What were you doing before you started running and working out to help you relax and, and find your place of calm? Um, I, I meditate almost every day. Um, sometimes when my, my kid was younger, sometimes I couldn't get, it was a 20 minute meditation that I cut it down to five and I'm slowly kind of adjusting to the fact that I can have 20 minutes now if I want to meditate and just to breathe it in because she's not a little kid anymore. She's, she's nearly a teenager, which is quite shocking and terrifying. Um, and yeah, so I've gone back to meditating. And I used to do that first thing, but now what I do is I'll do the run, I'll come back, I'll have a nearly a liter of, of water, and then I'll I'll have a shower, and then I'll do my meditation kind of when I'm really in a good place for, for it to really make a difference to me. It's very hard to sort of do a meditation in a rush. It doesn't really work. Not <laughs> at all. The, the whole nature of it is to sit there and draw your focus to you for a few moments. And if you can't do that, if you're not in a good space, it's kind of pointless. So I found you, that anyway. So you've written a romance novel, Always a Princess. And, uh, you know, my first question is, and I was just thinking about this. What's the difference between a romance novel and uh, a book that's about love, that, that has a love story wrapped in it? Because to me, most books are love stories. There, I mean, there's a lot of books that are um, stories with romantic elements. And that's actually a a category in some contests that I've entered but romance novels romance is a genre like science fiction or fantasy and they have specific requirements if you want your book to be considered as part of that genre for example science fiction book that didn't have anything like um set on another planet or something that was not of this world wouldn't necessarily meet the expectations of the reader and I mean romance romance fiction has some specific generic conventions one of which is a happy happy ending which is nice I like them and that's why I like to write them because happy endings um yes it's fictionalized yes it's rosied up but that's kind of the point um and it's like you know if you read a whole fantasy novel and there wasn't one single otherworldly location or creature or event and you know imagine reading the hobbit without hobbits elves swords magic it really wouldn't work no dragons you know <laughs> it's not a fantasy novel um the readers of those of those genres have certain expectations and I found that I enjoyed meeting them um I do have some plans to write a few that aren't actually romance novels but they still have romantic elements because I think most people like to read about the way human beings interact um for example mystery has to have obviously some kind of puzzle to solve and crime has a crime that has to be solved um, I'm a huge fan of those genres myself as a reader. I love them. Um, and I would be very disappointed if I read a mystery that didn't have anything particularly mysterious about it. <laughs> um, so the same thing. I'm not a horror fan, to be honest. Stephen King is a wonderful writer. I can't read any of his books. It's not personal. I just, I scare easy. What can I say? Um, <laughs> yeah, his books are terrifying. I know. I know. I, I, my My kid's all into that now. She's like, don't you want to read something about demons i'm like no i really don't <laughs> it's not my thing there's actually a horror romance genre there's a lot of subgenres in romance it's a huge area again can't read them can't write them they freak me out it's just a personal thing um, but i will happily write historical romance till the cows come home and i'm get, trying to get up the guts to write a contemporary i find that a lot harder to do personally as a writer but there are a lot of amazing contemporary um, romance authors out there who write wonderful stories. Now, why do romance novels have to have a happy ending? Because romances end there. You know, I think if I look at like Woody Allen movies, 
it's it's full of romance and intrigue and not always oh, a happy ending. I'm not a huge fan of Woody Allen's writing personally, um, or his or his films. To be honest, um, there's a two that I actually liked. Um, I don't I don't like that whole. It's a personal thing. I don't like that whole neurosis as comedy thing, especially in this world where mental health has become less stigmatized. If that, which is good, good to see. And whereas it wasn't when a lot of that stuff was created and it also spawned a whole genre of comedy that I'm not that I don't personally find funny I've sat through the entire Seinfeld marathon and haven't cracked a smile much to my family's astonishment they are all massive fans I love his stand-up that's let me say I love Seinfeld stand-up do not like the show do not like the show it's just personally so that's gonna be shocking to a lot of people Ah, Um, but I do think I do think it's a direct descendant of that type of comedy. And I really think that the whole making fun of people to get a, to get a, a laugh, to get a gag, to get a, it's not that different to starting a fight on Twitter to get followers and just being controversial for the sake of it. And I, 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 I would love to think that human beings are better than that, that there's more to our lives than clout. I think there is, but I think we spend a lot of our, our time pretending there isn't. I think that's very unfortunate and that's not very romantic either. Why do they have to have a happy ending? Romances end, but love doesn't. If it's proper, my belief is that if it's proper love, it doesn't really end. So. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Romance, romances end, but love doesn't. You're absolutely right. Because even though my, I have that, you know, just between me and you, my girlfriend doesn't need to know this, but all my past romances uh, you know, I, there's still a, a place in my heart for everyone who I've ever dated and been with. Like, there's just, you know, like you, the, the the love doesn't stop. Like, if they were to call me and they needed something, and I and I could oblige, I would help them out. So you're right. The the love doesn't stop. That's that's quite profound. Someone said to me once, one of my friends, um, she said to me, every relationship you ever had still exists, even when you're not in each other's lives anymore because you were once connected to that degree. Uh, there's a someone I used to date a long time ago who I recently saw just because I was looking on LinkedIn um, and I saw that he lost his job. Now, I haven't seen this person for years. I haven't felt connected to them for years, but I know how big a deal that would be for that person because I knew him very well at one point. And I, I haven't spoken to him or anything for ages, but I felt the need to re- send a, a little supportive message just because in my heart, I immediately felt a, like a thump. And I'm like, I know how hard that must have hit him and how unexpected that must have been. Um, so, yeah. And I, and I thought, that's weird that that's still there. And I said that to my friend and she said, that's because every relationship you've ever had still exists. Wow. And I, now, and I thought that was big. And I kept thinking about, I've been thinking about that on and off for, for days, you know. And I, like, I kept, now when I was on LinkedIn doing something else for my day job, I was checking to see if he was employed elsewhere. And part of it is like, why do I care? I don't really. I just want to know he's okay. You know, like I don't, I don't love him anymore or anything the way I did. But do I want to know that he's okay and happy? Sure. Why? Because he's a human being and I'm a human being, not because I desperately want to be with him again. Or presumably he doesn't want to be with me either because I haven't heard from him. <laughs> but my point is, I still care because it's the human thing to do, and that's what makes us human. Pretending we don't care doesn't make us human at all. Yeah, it makes us a robot. And and you bring up a great point that just because we haven't talked in years doesn't mean that I don't think about you occasionally. You know, sometimes you see somebody who may look like them or says something that they used to say or a song that you shared. Mm. There are all these different things that that are tied in to the emotional memory of a person. And, you know, it's it's this is so valuable because this is the stuff I really want to get into. I had a friend recently, um, his wife just you know, said that she wanted to get a divorce and it, it spiraled them out. And, 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 and part of it is like, you know, losing the love of your life. But also the other part is now he's, he's got to be back in the dating game. And it is so the uncertainty and dating and, uh, you know, just recollect, like, it, it's so tough. I can't imagine what it's like. Uh, oh, I for- can. Cause that's <laughs> Oh, you can. <laughs> I can. I, I, I can. I've been divorced for a long time now. How long so, have yes, you been divorced? Nearly eight years. Wow. So, so let's talk about this for a, a, a second because you got a divorce. Now, 
why would you, what do you attribute to the divorce? A lot of things. Um, we didn't suit each other very well. We weren't very good for each other. I truly believe we are both happier now. I can see that he's happier. I think he would probably never admit it because he was quite un, unhappy. Um, but we're definitely happier. But Well, I am. And I can, he, he looks happier to me and he acts happier. But I think if you were to ask him out of ego, he'd say no. Um, but I can see that he is. like, And I definitely am. So it wasn't good for us. It wasn't. Now, do I still when, care about him? Of course I do. Of course I do. When you, you say know? weren't suitable, can you be more specific? Like he was a he was a night owl. You were a day person. He was. We uh, made each other worse. I mean, we were younger. We were immature. We we would do things just to get back at each other. Stupid, immature, dumb things that you do that that you see children do, and you you think that's not adult behavior. Why am I doing this? And like we we made each other worse, and that's not healthy. It's not healthy when you start doing things like that, when you start to do things just to get to the other person, you know. Um, and I think once, you, once you're doing that and you recognize that, you have to deal with it. And if the best way to deal with it is by separating, well, then do that. But there might be other ways to deal with it. We did try a lot of things. Um, but I think, you know, um, and also I was conscious of not seeing, not having our daughter think that was okay. I, I'm not a fan of Australia has a, a, a very big tradition of sledging. Sledging is a term I don't think Americans know. Um, I'll give you it. And this probably happens in your sport. When we have a game here called cricket, you may have heard of it. It's not very interesting. It's terrible. Anyway, when the, I'll do it in baseball for you if I can. I've only seen a few. When the pitchers on them, when the, who's the guy who stands behind the, 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 the guy with the bat? The catcher or the umpire? The catcher. And the catcher might whisper something about the guy's wife or his girlfriend to, so, to try and make him miss, miss, the, miss the pitch. Right, right, trying to get in his head. That Yeah, we do that in cricket too. It's called sledging. It's really uncool. But basically the idea is to break the person's focus. It's a kind of psychological warfare, right? It's not nice, but it, it's done in sport a lot. <laughs> when you're in a and, – and, and a lot of relationships, that's really common. The casual little put-downs and the little spiky comments – I decided I really didn't want to be in that in that kind of connection. I didn't want to be with someone where that was considered funny and fun anymore. I didn't think it was. I got to a point where I'm like, this is not nice. This is just not, this is just two people sniping at each other all the time. It's not, it doesn't feel healthy. And I don't want my kid thinking this is a normal thing. It is normal in a lot of relationships. I grew up with a lot of that. But I decided it really wasn't a nice thing to come home to or to go on vacation with or anything like that. And I thought, I don't want that. And we, you know, I talked to him, he talked to me, we, we tried, but you know, and um, if I'm dating someone and, and they start to do that, I make it very clear. I'm like, I don't think put downs are cool or cute or funny. And I don't like the, oh, that was just a joke thing. It's not okay to show your kids that that's how you relate to your partner in my, in my understanding of, of, of how this is. Um, and I'm very strong about that. So, and it's very common. So it's very hard to find someone that that makes an effort not to. There are other ways to have a joke that don't involve hurting someone casually. Because the thing about being with a partner is you know all their buttons and they know yours. That's the whole thing about being intimate, right? And to use that as a way to get one over on them, it just doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel loving. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, so, it feels yeah. heavy. It feels like a, a like a, a punch to the gut or a, like a weight on a chest. It kind of takes the wind out of you a little bit. And yeah. It, it erodes the trust and intimacy. Yes, exactly. And 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 um, that is what happened to us. And I and I thought this is not good. I don't want to be in another connection where people do that. And actually, it's very common, and people just write it off as that's how we relate to each other. I'm like, that's cool, but I don't want to do that. I'm not okay with it as, as a, as a connection to my partner. That's not so, how I want to relate to that. So Clive, what helps you handle the divorce? So many people end their lives. They, they, or they, or they fear ruin. What helped you, you know, in the early stages through the divorce? Um, good friends. Um, I had a friend who, um, her, her husband was a personal trainer and he had his own gym in his garage. I could never have afforded to do this 
for, by paying for it. But I called him often and I'd say, can I use your gym? I remember the first time right after I, I, I left the marriage, I, I was in, I fell asleep in his gym. He found me passed out on the floor in the morning because I'd started punching. Um, and I just kept going until I passed out. Um, and that I, I, I tried to channel a lot of the feelings into long walks, which became running um, and boxing. I did a lot of boxing until I got a shoulder injury, not from the boxing. That was from a car accident that a few years later. Um, and um, I just, I tried to, and I, at the time I, my daughter was much, much younger. And I stayed with my parents for a couple of years, which was both hard, but also good because um, it helped me keep it together in days where I felt like, because I did, I, I went through a depression thing. I had PTSD. I still have PTSD from the marriage. It wasn't a great marriage. Um, and to keep my head together, I sometimes needed people to basically say, hey, your head's not together. What do you need to do? We'll look after her for a couple of hours, go for a walk or whatever. And that was really helpful. Um, and to have my parents, I was very lucky to be able to stay with them for a couple of years. I have to say being dating age, staying with your parents is not the easiest thing in the world, but it was good because it felt like I still had a family. So, and every now and again, I would take a trip up the coast, a weekend up the coast with my daughter um, because to give them a break because they're in their seventies and they really didn't want to live with a three-year-old. <laughs> Don't blame them. Absolutely. Um, so it was very kind of them because they live in a small apartment and literally I was sleeping in the alcove, the TV alcove, and my daughter got the spare room. And um, every now and again, I would just we would get on each other's nerves. I'm like, okay, we'll just go away for we'll just go up the coast for a couple of nights, give you guys some space. And it was good for us too. But um, yeah, so I discovered road trips, long road trips with loud music was good. <laughs> um, and then when we I finally got back on my feet because financially it's quite a lot especially as a single mom, because I couldn't work full time. Um, and we got our own place. I got her a dog. We, bu we built a different kind of family, a smaller family, but it's still a good family. So, yeah. Long road trips, time with family, with loud music. What, what were you blasting in the car? Who was your go-to band well, or I spent, song? I spent four years in family court. Um, so I, I, I did a lot of Tom Petty, Don't Back Down. <laughs> he, he was on high rotation full moon fever the entire album but um tom petty's i went back down was big for me um and some um some of the louder australian rock music um acdc for my running that was helpful with my running and frankly the theme from rocky always gets a a good workout eye of the tiger i'm sure you've heard of it oh yeah Dun. There really is no better workout. There track. isn't. It's so um, true. There really isn't. Although I've got to say, Miley Cyrus, Midnight Sky for a runner. Not bad. Not bad. Nice work. I like it. So now you're, you know, you're divorced or you're going through the divorce and you're back out there in the dating scene. Now you believe that people should rely less on dating apps nowadays. Why is that? Well, I just found that dating apps were more about avoiding being alone than about finding authentic connection of course it's very individual and it depends on you they're a tool like anything else it depends how you use them it's very important though when you're using a tool not to become one that's my right advice to anyone out there <laughs> in the dating game in your 40s um actually um and I've, i found a lot of people didn't that they were almost paranoid about spending time by themselves which is something i've never had a problem with so a lot of writers spend a lot of time on their own it's not new to us Writing is a fairly solitary endeavor. Um, but a lot of my friends going through divorces were paranoid about finding, like, honestly, some guys were, the ink was barely dry and sometimes not dry and they were dating already. And I'm like, why are you in such a rush? Don't you want to take a moment? No, can't be alone, can't be alone. And, and now for me, that's a bit of a flag. If you can't spend five minutes with yourself, why should anybody else? You know, um, what are you scared of? What's so bad? And you know, when people say, if you don't love yourself, you can't expect anyone else to, I think it's comes, that's a similar sort of thing. I like spending time on my own. I like spending time with new people too, but I find that quiet time just with myself, doing things that are special to me, running gives me that as well, like an hour or so 
with my music in my ears, running at my pace, just, you know, is good. I have, I have majority of care of my daughter and she's a great kid, but, um, she has some special needs and, um, I do need a break from that every now and again. And she's of an age now where I can say, mom's going for a run for an hour. I'll be back soon. And she's cool. And I, I get that time away and I'm a better mom for it. I'm a better parent because I've had an hour to myself every couple of days. Um, so I don't know how I'd be if I couldn't spend time on my own. I think that, I think that, I mean, I think everyone is pretty amazing deep down in their heart. And I think that if you don't spend time with yourself, you won't find out how truly cool you are. And then you won't have an awareness of your worth. And I think when you're dating, it's very hard to keep that front and center, but it's very important to know your worth. Otherwise, you could end up in exactly the same situation that you left if it wasn't a good one. One of my friends came out of a terrible marriage where she was she was very much, um, it was very abusive physically in all sorts of ways. And she said to me, I'm so scared to date because I'm so scared of ending up in the same relationship. I said, well, the only way to stop that happening is to make sure you're not the same, the same person that went into it. Work on yourself, find out what led you to it and turn those triggers off, turn those things off that led you that way and become what I know you are, which is an amazing human being and make sure other people see that because if they see you as amazing, they're not going to shortchange you. And the people looking for victims are not going to come near you because you're not a victim. So, um, so far she hasn't found, um, hasn't, hasn't met anyone, but she's been out on a few dates that went well. So I'm, I'm really proud of her because that was very scary for her having been in such a, such a situation for so long. Our marriage has ended at the same time we met in a support group. So we're still friends. She's actually in America now. She moved to America. So. Wow. So you're in a support group. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? Uh, because there I, are a lot of people who don't have yeah. friends and they might be skeptical of sharing their story in front of other people. What was that well, experience like for you? Well, here's the thing. When I, when I left my marriage, um, I, I didn't want a, a group of people who just became their own victim victimology victim echo chamber which can happen and I'm not I'm not disrespecting if you need to be in that space because sometimes you do for a time but what I wanted what I needed was hope and what I looked for was not a psychologist or a, or, a, or a trained therapist I looked for a mentor who had been through a similar situation to me and come out the other side and was doing okay because that's what I needed to see as an example in front of me and I found um a lady like that and I joined I did some one-on-one -on -one coaching with her and then I joined she and that gave me access to this group. It wasn't always a good place for me. I didn't always feel welcome there. I'm a bit different in the way I think. And there was also this whole thing. It was I wasn't always looking for a partner because, again, I'm quite happy on my own as well. And it's it's a fairly strong in themselves person who doesn't mind that I can go three or four days without hearing from them, without getting freaked freaked out about it. Um, and they might. And when I'm writing, I might forget to contact people. It happens a lot. And my good friends know that it's just me in my writing zone. Um, and if I pop up again after two months, it's fine. It's not because I don't love them. It's because I was busy. Um, but for someone you're dating, that can be challenging. Um, but in that group, I made some good friends and I, I don't need the group anymore. Um, but I'm still friends with some of the people I made the better, I made the best connections with. But again, it was looking for the people who had been through a similar situation to mine and had come out of it and were doing good. I didn't want um, people who, who it had destroyed them and were still in that place. I wanted, because it's what I needed. I needed to see that it was possible to climb back out of it and do good on the other side and be okay. And that's what it gave me. So it was and, good. So why do you think love takes courage and, and being vulnerable helps us to find love? Because... Um, Love means showing someone who you really are. I, there's a famous quote that I use a lot, and it's, I think it's by Emily Proctor. I'll have to look it up for you. Um, it's basically love is giving someone else the power to destroy you and trusting that they won't. That's what the quote says. And I think that that is it. And the way they destroy you is by knowing how. And you, only, you can only really get to someone if you know their vulnerabilities, if you know their hotspots, if you know what really hurts them. And 
if somebody shows that to you, it's an, it's an incredible act of trust. Now, even if you don't love them back to abuse that, to use that to mess with them, that's an abusive trust. And that's how you, you know, that's what happens in, in a lot of abusive relationships. Um, but if you, if you use it to celebrate them, to lift them up, to, to hold them tight when they need it, that's true friendship, true companionship, and true love. Not everyone is a, um, is a sexual love. Not every kind of love is a sexual love. I love so many more people than love me. So many more. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because I figure oh, love doesn't really have a limit except what I set for it because it's my love and I can give it to whom I wish. And some people, if they, I find that it, it's damaging to me, their, respon- their response to how I feel about them is damaging to me, I'll turn it off. But if it isn't, then I won't because why? Um, but I, I think you have to have a lot of, it takes courage to show, show someone authentic, who you are all the way down and, and to trust that they will treat that respectfully, even if they don't reciprocate. A lot of things we do are ego driven. And I think the ego is helpful in that it's protective and it, it serves as a signpost. If my ego is triggered by something, I like to look at why. And it might be because it's reminding me of something I went through in the past. And I'm like, that doesn't mean I'm going, that doesn't mean the situation's the same, but maybe I need to think about what the warning signs are. And sometimes it's just because they trot on a sore spot. Um, I have, I have insecurities like anyone else, but that, those insecurities are mine to ma- my, my responsibility to manage, not other people's. And um, um I, I don't want to put that on other people, but sometimes I forget. And sometimes I'm not in a place where I'm at my best and I might flare up about something. Um, I have a friend who always thinks that she's not very smart. It's not true that she's not smart at all. Like she's done, she always did. It's just that she comes from a family of everyone's got a PhD or a doctorate and she's not at that level. She reminds me of that guy in the Big Bang Theory that's only got a master's when all the others are doctors and everyone's always ribbing him about it. Um, and that's how she feels in her family as a result of which anytime someone says, oh, that's a stupid suggestion. She goes, she gets very angry because that's a huge trigger for her being thought of as stupid or unintelligent. And it's actually not what the person means half the time. So my point is that if you know that triggers there and you can avoid it, then you should. On the other hand, it's also the other person's responsibility to manage their triggers as best they can. And it's very difficult in a relationship because what relationships do is you basically got two people's insecurities bumping up against each other all the time. And how you navigate that is, is the test of the relationship. And if you navigate it gently, calmly, kindly and beautifully, you'll get a love that lasts, I think. But if you can't or don't, you're going to get something toxic, which is we see that a lot, right? It's, it's Absolutely. And, you know, and that, yeah, if you let your ego drive the bus, you're just going to have a car wreck. Honestly, egos are, have served important functions, but they shouldn't be in charge. I find you have to manage it, actively manage it and go, oh my God, that really pissed me off. Let me, let me, before I blurt something out, let me think about why, or let me step away or whatever. It's not always easy to do, especially in workplaces and stuff, but it's very important. Because if you honestly, I find all my worst decisions in my life have been made out of ego or peak or, you know, every time I make something, a decision just because it's because my ego's flared up and I haven't managed it well. That quote that you brought up earlier, love is when, uh, is when you give someone else the power to destroy you and trust them not to do it. Uh, you know, I looked it up and it, there's so many people who, are laying claim to this. There's an E. Lockhart. There's Simon yeah, that's it. Sinek. Sorry, Emily Lockhart. E- Emily I tracked Lockhart. it back as early okay. as I could. As early as I could, and I got her. I got her. I could be wrong, though. But I, I, I'll keep checking. Um, I'm a historical fiction author, so I research obsessively. <laughs> I, I I, the other day, I, I wanted to find out, you know, am, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Well, it depends um, on how many people you want to hear the, the episode. Oh, okay. Um, well, in the in the second season, well, in the second season of Bridgerton, I was uh, noticing how often they use the F word, and I thought, I wonder if they really did use that word because I don't use it in my books. There's too there's too many fun Regency swear words to to use instead. Um, but I went and researched how old the word was and when it was first heard in England, and and it turns out, yes, probably they did. But 
anyway, so I just right, it, had it to is know. Interesting. I had to know. Yeah, we, I, I, I'm the same way. I hear a word. I'm like, is that what they said? Is that what they wore? Is that what they ate? Did they eat that? Is that <laughs> the um, yeah. you talked about how judgment is the blood sport of our millennia and why yeah. it is like the Coliseum online nowadays. How, how detrimental is judgment to intimacy, communication, connecting with someone? What do you mean it's the blood sport of our millennia? I think in a world where um, you've got your anonymous keyboard warriors judging things and make and and deciding, I looked at your feed and you're obviously X. I see that all the time on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry, but um, my greatest, my largest social media following is on Twitter. Everything I say on Twitter is in what 150 characters. You can't possibly get a proper sense of me from 150 character tweets. There's just no way in hell. I also write 80,000 word novels, so pick your medium you're going to get a very different sense of me from an eighty thousand word novel than you would from a 150 character tweet no <laughs> so you can read my timeline all you want you get an idea of some of the stuff i i might be into but you wouldn't get i wouldn't think it's enough to draw massive conclusions about anybody um i also get mistaken for a man a lot online because i think it's my name um so that's interesting um, and has led to some very interesting conversations. Um, but we were, sorry, I lost my thread. I'm coming back now. Um, I, I think that people are very quick to judgment. And I do think that's coming from a place of ego. It's a place of, is this person like me or not? Oh, they're not, therefore they're evil. And, and I think these massive leaps of um, life is, I think life is very nuanced. And I think that... Um, categorizing people all the time into large groups makes it easier for marketers it makes it easier for polit political parties it makes it easier for the things that separate and divide us but it's actually human beings are not that general we are not broad brushstroke creatures we are very very individual and very very nuanced um i don't think that it's helpful to forget that um, I don't think it's helpful to say this person um, tweeted this one time, which means they are X. What does that give you other than a controversial thing to jump up and down about for five minutes and maybe get three more clicks or followers? Is that helpful? <laughs> is, you know, um, is, it, is it good? Is it kind? Is it, does it move humanity forward in any meaningful way? Or does it just give you a momentary burst of dopamine? I don't know. Um, and so I, I think sitting back and judging everyone on tiny little seconds in their lives and deciding this person's a complete asshole because of X, Y, Z is you don't know them. I'm well aware that I have a thousand Facebook followers and I'm well aware that I only know in person about 20 of them. And I wouldn't presume to say that I know the others very well. I think social media has given us breadth of reach without giving us any depth. And it's missing all the nuance. And the nuance is where the humanity is. And it's definitely where the love is. Breath so without I the think, depth. I love that. Yeah. I just think it's like, it's like a shallow, you know, when you go to the, the public pool and the kids pool, the really little kids pool, yeah. is this, this very warm, flat thing you can barely get your toes wet and it's full of probably pee that's what social media is giving us the people so you know i think people should remember that before they get too excited about what they're calling people out for online etc i'm like yeah maybe you think maybe it's true maybe it isn't but i'm not judging anyone based on the people depth that we're getting to look at them from so basically we're all on the spectrum it sounds like that's what you're saying uh, i just I just think that you can't know someone that well um, from the, what they put out there. I mean, it's a fact, for example, on Instagram um, that people filter this and change that and curate that. And, I mean, they're giving you a specific persona to look at and respond to, and that's not necessarily who they are. That's their public picture. I mean, Van Gogh isn't his sunflowers. That's just a picture he painted, you know. Um, 
the person himself is a lot more human and complex. And I think we're all human and complex. And I think we'll do anything to avoid actually having to acknowledge another person's complexity because then maybe we'd have to look into inside at our own and, and see that we have some stuff to work on. I don't know. I think, I think people spend a lot of time avoiding themselves by um, projecting onto other people. Yeah, it's scary to go deep. I mean, it's part of why some people don't want to go to therapy or, you know, they can't meditate or sit with themselves. You know, all the thoughts and the ideas and the emotions that are uncomfortable or just unfamiliar, not even uncomfortable, but oh, I don't know what that is. Even if it's a positive, quote unquote, positive emotion of joy or excitement, uh, it's mm. just so unfamiliar and foreign. It, it can be scary even if it's beneficial and lots of lots of good things can be scary um when i'm in a relationship that's going well a dating relationship is going well i get i get like cold feet and jittery and i actually have a friend whose job it is I, like i'll message her and i go i'm thinking of telling him i don't want to see him again and she's like yeah that's just you stop it that's your triggers stop it and that's her job like <laughs> i charged her with that job when i decided to get back out there and have a go like your job is to stop me being a wimp about this stuff and she's like cool I'm on it and she will she'll message me she lives in Texas she's a tough chick <laughs> and then, um she'll just say don't message her worse talk to him about it like oh, you no, know. now that's an argument I want to see an Australian <laughs> versus a, a Texas a, a Texan right there that yeah th those two women uh you know having a, a some type of verbal discourse or debate that that, that would be interesting the, the she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. She's actually just uh, getting married again. So she's and so, like I said, I, I try to look for people who are who I can, like who are ahead of me that I can like. Okay, this person is is doing good. I want to do good. So I want to I want to look at people who who are moving forward in a way that I aspire to do, rather than just people who are in the same place as me. I mean, that's helpful to a point, but I still want to know that there's more coming. You know. And, and, and I can model some things from that. And that's helpful to me. That makes Not sense because I'm in a 12-step yeah. program, you know, so those people are in the same boat as I am. But I also have other groups that I'm a part of, of people who are uh, beyond where I am. So I'm, I'm getting both because you need mm. people who are where you are to remind yeah. yourself you're not lonely in this journey and you're not the only one. And also to remind yourself of why you're in the group sometimes you know, the ego can say, well, I, I can go back to how I used to do it. I can handle it now. And then because you're hearing the stories, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's why I don't, I don't do it. I'm so glad. Um, yeah. You know, you, you shared that because I almost forgot how bad it can be. Exactly. I mean, when I, when I first left my marriage, I wasn't ready for anything long-term. So I just dated for fun. And I had a, I was dating this one guy who also was dating for fun absolutely beautiful person. And one of my friends said, why would you date someone that can't give you what you want? I said, you mean, why would I date someone that can't give me what you think I should want? That's not the same thing, honey. I'm in the same place as him right now when I'm not. Well, we'll have a conversation at that time, which we did. And um, we both moved on, but we were in very different, like we were in, we'd just come out of long-term marriages. We weren't up for much, honestly. We, you know, cause, um, and we weren't, we weren't exclusive and she found that problematic because that's not something that she would ever handle very well, but I'm not her. So, you know, everyone's in a different, everyone's situation is very specific. And I think, I think it's, there needs, I try to give people room and not project. I don't think I project well, and I, and I don't think I ever have. So it's always surprising to me when other people do it. I don't know why, because it's very common. Um, when you were talking about things that terrify people, I, I can honestly say that I've, I've, had many unsuccessful attempts at therapy and I've, I've found it quite scary. One of the reasons I find it troubling is because it, de it, it, it messes with my equilibrium and I'm like, I'm, I'm handling things okay right now. And to go deep and try and fix some stuff destabilizes that. And that really only works in my life if I've got like several weeks with nothing else to do, but deal with it because I'm a single parent. I can't be breaking down every other day. I have a kid who needs me and relies on me and I have a job I have to handle and hold down. So if it interferes with either of those two things, it's just going to have to wait. And I'm well aware there's like a backlog of stuff I have to deal with. I'm just like, it's just going to have to wait <laughs> until I get like a couple of weeks where I can sit down and maybe do a short-term course or something or just write it out or whatever. But it's just going to have to wait because I can't be destabilized right now. But I know it's there. 
that's just sitting there waiting for me, like an un- unwrapped parcel. <laughs> you know, and I actually agree with that. I, I definitely think that there are some situations uh, where going into therapy may be more harmful than helpful. You know, a perfect example is um, a, getting a massage. Getting a massage is such a wonderful thing for your body. However, if your body is too sore from your workout, a massage may actually make things worse. You're too raw. You're too yeah, numb. Yeah, it's a good analogy. It's too See, open. Yeah. And sometimes therapy can be that for you. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and, and shared that. Because, you know, it's something I've actually, as I think about it, is something I haven't mentioned in any of these episodes. And um, it, it is something that I need to make. Uh, I'm glad that my listeners are now aware of. Um, you talked about, you know, getting back to your book, Always a Princess, you say how romance isn't really the right name for the genre. It, it, it's, it's not about romancing someone. It's really about love. Can you talk to me about the difference between romancing someone and love? Um, there's a difference between presenting the best of yourself to the other person's best of themselves. And um, while that's fun and that's how a lot of things start up, sooner or later the person's going to see the real you. Sooner or later you're going to fart in front of each other and then you'll find out, you know. Um, <laughs> that, that's a certain point in, in your, your getting to know someone where you'll learn things about each other. Um, the first, um, I, I remember a, a person I was seeing and the, one of the, I, I always like, um, I always had to make sure that I was, I felt like I had to make sure I was fully made up and um, in my best clothes and all of that. And then one day they came round um, because I'd had a bad day with takeout to Netflix and chill, which no one had, I hadn't let anyone in my home for a while because that was something I was dealing with. And um, I I didn't have makeup on. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not wearing makeup. And he's like, so? I'm like, oh, so now we're past that point. (laughs) You see me without makeup. Um, And... Um, I think love is about seeing someone, every part of them. You know, how you, you, the, there are those joking things that come out around this time of year as we run up to Christmas that says, you don't really know someone until you've seen them fight with um, tangled Christmas lights or how they handle a flood in your laundry and stuff like that. Or when your flights are delayed and do they lose their temper with the, the waiter at a restaurant when your food is wrong or, or late or something. I think that's all very important. And I always used to excuse that kind of thing. And now I pay real attention to it. I'm like, how do you treat the people over whom you have power? How do you treat the people who serve you or who help you or who, who are considered beneath you on the totem pole in a workplace? You know, that's because if you don't treat them like they matter, sooner or later, you're probably going to turn that attitude on me. So um, I think love is about really knowing someone and not not disrespecting who they are, but learning to appreciate that even their dark side has a place. Everyone's got dark stuff, I I reckon. If you're over about 15 and you've lived it all, you've got some stuff. I, I, for example, have a shocking temper. Um, and if I were being, if I were romancing someone or they were romancing me, they'd probably see no sign of it. But if we were loving each other fully, deeply, all the way through to the middle, of, the bottom of who we are and out again, they would know. They would know I have a shocking temper and they would put on me the responsibility to manage it, but they'd still know it's there. Yeah, in therapy, so, they, they call it shadow work, you know, like acknowledging and accepting that he calls it the shadow, mm. the shadow side, the, the other side of us. And we all have it. And it's, in, mm. it's suppressing or denying that side that actually causes more suffering and, and, and damage. I mean, um, there, were th- there were things I never, I, I have never felt safe enough um, to tell a partner. And that's because I don't think I've been in that, been to that level of love with someone yet. And, you know, that's okay. Um, but if I were, if you're romancing someone, it's just the pretty stuff. I think of it as the, the hallmark cards, it's the cards and flowers and, and, and it's fun and it's, it's cute and it's pretty, 
but it's not, again, it's, it's not all the way into who you are and who the other person is. And I, I don't think you can have a lasting connection unless you love that about the other person and yourself and yourself. Well, Clive, this has been an awesome discussion. I, I, we could talk definitely for a thousand more hours. Definitely. We, we definitely have to have you back on because I'm sure you're going to write more romance novels. I will. I've got uh, two released in September, another one releasing in November, and the sequel's Always a Princess coming out it's around Christmas time. So. Oh, love it. And, and so last question, I like to ask this of all my guests. Because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Clive? Um, hold my hand. I honestly, we have a, an event here called Are You Okay Day? And I honestly think every year it comes up and a lot of people are disparaging of it. And I think if they called it what it really feels like, because I've been there. I go there quite often. I have, I have um, PTSD, so I do have those times. And instead of calling it, are you okay, Dave? They called it, how close are you to the edge? For me, that's what it feels like. That's what I feel like asking people. Instead of, are you okay? How close are you to the edge? Then take my hand and let's take a walk and take a step back and take a walk. I love that. Thank you so much, Rose, for that share. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help, calling the 988 or any of the international phone numbers that are listed in all of the show notes. If you're in Australia, if you are in Poland, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in Tasmania or I was listening to a podcast today and uh, where was that guy? He was somewhere in South America. I, I forget. But Brazil, sure, Brazil. There are phone numbers where you can call, chat, text. Uh, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Clive. My pleasure. My pleasure. I did want to say to the people who are there that you matter because I think that's the hardest thing to believe in that moment. <laughs>